Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Hamish Peary. Welcome to Travcast, our writer salon. Well, I am lucky enough to get to interview writers about playwriting and what it means to them and the craft of writing plays. And today, I'm really excited to have David Ireland sitting in front of me. He just gave me a really wonderful grin. <laughs> David Ireland is an actor and playwright. He was born in Belfast. His first play, What the Animal Z- Say, was produced at Oran Moor and then went on to the Belfast Festival and is currently being developed in a TV show. He's written many other plays, including Arguments for Terrorism, The End of the Hope of Desire, Half a Glass of Water, Yes, So I Said Yes, and Everything Between Us, which he was the winner of the prestigious Mayor Whitworth Award. David, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. Well, I was... I've had a real wonderful couple of days of reading your, catching up with the plays of yours that I haven't, some of the plays I haven't read. Uh-huh. And I feel like I've been living in your head, which I'm really excited to talk to you about <laughs> in a couple That's of a minutes. a scary place to be. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Not for me, but maybe for other people. I don't know. It was thrilling. It felt like I was in a world of really bright colours. Interesting. Which is quite nice. Um, but when I was thinking, do you have hobbies? Um... Uh... <laughs> Not, not so much. Uh, I should have. My my wife is saying I should have hobbies, but I don't. Uh, I go to the cinema a lot. I go to the cinema. If I have any free time, I try to watch a DVD or go to the cinema as much as possible, which is pretty dull as a hobby. Then do you count that as work? Does part of it? Does your guilty self count that as work as well? Yeah, kind of, kind of. I do have a problem with hobbies or pleasure. I like, I like to work as much as possible. Really? Yeah. Because I always, I do worry about. I really felt that obviously, that you act as well as a playwright. For when mm-hmm. do you have time to to have a hobby? And mm-hmm. then you, do you think playwrights well because you can write all the time whenever? Yeah, yeah. How yeah. do you how do you do? Well, that? that was when I first started writing professionally. That was a real issue for me because I I kind of do, I don't really act so much anymore. Like not so much. So when I was sort of, there was a time I was only acting and then there was a point where I was sort of acting a lot and also writing a bit. And then when I started writing more, I couldn't figure out where the free time was and where the work ended, like when to work and how to work and all that. Because being an actor is more, you know, you go you go to rehearsals and then, you know, you have a day off. So, you know, and I generally, I'm exaggerating slightly, but I did hate being an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I do hate being an actor. Um, there's, uh, there's so much I love about acting. There's so much I hate about it as well. Um, and I sort of, like, I, I think this is true for a lot of actors. Like, you pray and pray and hope and hope that you get the job. And then when you get the job, you're just waiting for it at the end. Like, you're just in misery. Doing the same, saying the same words night after night and all, you know. Um, so uh, I used to just, like, couldn't wait for the job to be over and be unemployed again so that I could, get back to the cinema <laughs> but then complain after two weeks complain because I had no money and where's the next job coming from of course but so now what happens because you've not got enough time to go to the cinema because you're mm. writing all the time 
Well, it's more. It's more that I'm married now. It's more an issue. Because right. <laughs> this, this, this is going to be. This is. We're not editing. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to. Married is an issue. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> you did just say that live. <laughs> no, not in that sense. Um, no, that's going to get me in the trouble. Um, no, I. I mean, in the sense that um, my wife is very sort of extroverted and you know uh, likes to go out a lot and. Um, has lots of hobbies and lots of extracurricular activities she does beyond a, a lot of work that she does as well. So she's has a very active lifestyle and I don't. So because of that, I'm sort of um, dragged out more often than I used to be before I met her. So it's kind of a good balance. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, if it was up to me, I would never leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is its terrible way to live. Um, yeah, it's interesting how you, you could comment on the world having never having never never engaging with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then also exciting. Yeah, but I think as long as long as you're alive, you're still part of the world. You know, even if you're not doing anything. Yeah, sadly, I do always imagine that all writers would have that answer mm-hmm. that they would rather never leave the house than sit in their boxer shorts eating yeah. jaffa cakes. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I do true. like that. Is one of the things I. I I, the, one of the things I miss about not acting so much is I love being in a company full of actors, you know, doing a show. Like, that's a lot of fun. Even if you don't get along with people, or even if you're the outcast in the group, it's still fun. Um, but I do I do enjoy having my time completely to myself and being able to decide when I work. Um, and, and when I do have difficult times, it only affects me, you know, um, which is good. Really boringly, yeah. What sort of structure of a day do you work? Cause I think people do find it interesting. I, ha- I, I, <laughs> I uh, a friend of mine went to see uh, Martin Amos give a talk recently, and somebody in the audience asked him that question, and he started laughing. And he said, "Sorry, I'm not laughing at you, but it's just that it fascinates me to think that anybody could be at all interested in what the structure of my day is." Um, and I am really fascinated by Martin Amos's day and other writers' days, but I don't know why anybody would be interested in what my day is. But assuming that other people are interested... They are. Um, <laughs> I, it's, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. Um, on, on a perfect day or on a typical day, I, I get up around 9 or 10, um, have some breakfast, and then usually I go to the gym, which is hard to believe when I say that to people. Um, what they, um, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm not an Adonis as such. But <laughs> this is radio. Let's take yeah, advantage of yeah, this, David. But there's no, you know, there's no point lying because people will find out. Um, uh, yeah, so I kind of, I, I go, well, I like to eat a lot as well. So I go to the gym to try to counteract that, you know. So, uh, by the way, Martin Amos uh, skips lunch and has a three-course breakfast, which I think is interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm thinking maybe three I should start doing that. What would your three-course breakfast be? Not my name, just tell me what yours would be. I, well, I've been trying to think of that. My three-course, maybe, maybe uh, some crunchy nut cornflakes, pancakes, and maybe, a, maybe a, something with eggs. Right. But then that's quite, that's quite a lot. You'd have to have a croissant or something, Ooh, or a, a pan of chocolate. There's a lot of butter in a croissant. Well, you, it's quite heavy. Thi- I think the importance about the big breakfast yeah. is to finish with the fruit course. The fruit course? You see, I don't like, I don't like doing anything healthy. Oh, right, as a rule, so that's yeah. why you really have to go to the gym yeah. to, yeah, to be yeah. able to get out of the Yeah, but door. see, my wife makes sure I eat healthy. Well, it's, it's a great thing. If you're a writer, it's a good thing to have a wife. Right. Yeah, or that's a partner of some kind. Just to control you in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To rein you in. 
Yeah. Otherwise, things are chaotic. Well, they. <laughs> but at least, as you said, they're chaotic on your own, and that's okay. What's that? You said before it's, well, it's all right because it's chaotic on your own. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the else. thing. Yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. you justify it, so you keep yeah, being yeah. self-destructive. Yeah. But yeah, so getting back to my typical day. Yeah. So yeah, I would I would go to the gym and then I kind of like ideally I'd like to write eight hours a day, but it doesn't work that way. Um, I tend to work three hours a day, um, which I I've always felt a bit. Is that enough? I always thought right, I'll work at least three hours a day. I'll try to do like three hours solid writing a day. Um, and it's always a battle with me whether or not it's enough. I read recently that Mel Brooks um, only works three hours a day. I've met quite a few writers that mm-hmm. that, that never would never like their names to be known, but say the same. Really? It's, about produ- it's about a short amount. Some writers I know work because it's a short yeah. amount of productive time. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I think because lo- I do tend to write quite quickly, and because I, I tend to write comedy, I've heard that comedy writers tend to write quickly. Um, I think somebody told me Noel Coward wrote most of his plays in a, a few weeks. Um, Oscar Wilde was the same. Uh, so that's good company to be in, and Mel Brooks. <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Those are people that are lucky enough to have read David Ireland's play will realise there is a very big difference between <laughs> the work that's just been described of Noel Coward <laughs> and your world. What? Well, firstly, actually, what, when was the moment when you decided I have to write plays? Um, I I I'd always I uh, that's an interesting question. Um, write plays. I I was out of work in in London as an actor, um, just after leaving drama school, and I didn't have an agent. Um, so I decided the best thing to do me for me to write a one man show for myself, and I thought. I'll write, um, I'll write something which I thought of myself at the time. I thought I'm a very in- <laughs> intense, brooding actor uh, and good at playing psychopaths. So I'll basically write a monologue about a serial killer. And uh, I wrote, I wrote a monologue about this guy Lenny Murphy, who was one of the the Shankle Butchers in Belfast, um, who was a notorious serial killer, loyalist serial killer. And I thought this is, and I look nothing like him, but I thought this will be great for me. Um, and then I wrote it, and then I gave it to a few people, and they told me it was terrible, pretty much. Um, but I didn't really care because I wasn't thinking as a writer; I was thinking as an actor. All I, I didn't care whether it was a good play. I just wanted people to see that I could act. So it never, I never did anything with it. It never got produced or anything. Um, so that was the first time I'd really attempted to write a play. I think. Although I'd written, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd, I wanted to be an actor from when I was about seventeen, but I was kind of still writing plays, even then. Um, but I'd never seriously thought about being a playwright because um, I didn't really know how you go about it. And acting, acting was kind of. I wanted to be a novelist when I was a teenager. This is kind of going backwards in time, <laughs> like a novel. Um, I, 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 yeah, I wanted to be a novelist, and then I sort of started acting at school. And I got completely addicted to the adrenaline rush of acting. I think I don't know if it's true of all actors. I think a lot of actors, it is just like an addiction, really. It's not, you know, I don't think in, in many ways, I'm not sure it's a healthy thing to do with your life acting. I think it is just an addiction. For some people, it is just an addiction to that rush of being on stage. And it was like that for me. So that I pursued it, even though I'm not sure I was very good at it. I saw you acting. I thought you were very good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, 
just there at the beginning, you're also talking about the fact that the boredom of saying other people's lines. Uh-huh. Is that to do of saying the same, not that, it was saying the same lines again and again, wasn't it? Uh-huh. And is, is that what made, did you feel in order to, yeah, is that, is that anything to do with why you moved on to writing? Just like, I don't want to be doing this. Any- I, I think I always like, I, I, I don't know. Um, I never like, I was never, I was very rarely the kind of actor who would, like I, I wasn't really a frustrated playwright thinking I could do better than that most of the time. Like if I had a choice, I would always do a play, be in a play that I really enjoyed. Um, or really loved when I first read it. Um, and I kind of learned, I kind of always had an inkling in my head I might turn to playwriting or take playwriting more seriously. So I always like, partly because I was a very nervous actor as well. Like I was in uh, Martin McDonough's Lieutenant of Inishmore, which is like, McDonough's one of my favourite writers. I think he's just amazing. And um, I used to, partly out of nerves, I'd stand in the wings. I would always stand in the wings about two scenes before I was due to go on. Like I'd be there like, 20 minutes early for my cue because I was always nervous about missing my cue. So I was in the, like that with every performance of every play I was in. So if a play was really good like that one, I'd always like, I think I sort of picked, I learned a lot about writing from that, like how to craft a play, how what how an audience responds. And it was like there was no, with the McDonough, it was a long tour, it was a big commercial tour. And uh, I wasn't, I very rarely got bored with that play because it was so much fun to do. Right, so from seeing what a really well-crafted play is, uh-huh. you get, right, that isn't boring. So rather than uh-huh. go, I want to do more of those plays, uh-huh. you went, I'm going to make one of those. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So. Well, I, I was, um, when I was in If Destroyed True, um, I, I was having a really tough time. It was a, a run of about, I was getting really disillusioned with acting and really, I felt very frustrated by it. Um, and I wasn't feeling that I was doing very... Uh, I, I was going through a phase of thinking I was a really terrible actor and I wasn't I was kind of I was about 30 and I hadn't sort of got any sort of half decent career really I was kind of okay I was like a sort of jobbing actor um, but I wasn't getting enough work or making enough money and I was getting very frustrated and I wasn't finding it very enjoyable and I was having fights with directors very passive aggressive fights though you know <laughs> uh, I just kind of come in with an attitude a lot of days not consciously, but just because I was so unhappy. And I, was, I remember struggling, particularly with one scene. And, and it was a great play, you know, and John, a great director, John Tiffany, and, like, it was Douglas Maxwell playing everything. Like, it was really good. It, was a good. it ended up being a good production as well. But there was one particular thing. It was a scene I was in, and I, was, I found it really difficult. And I was just, it was just like, I felt like I was going to collapse. I was so depressed about it. And... Then Douglas Maxwell, who's a friend of mine, I was in Decky Does a Bronco, and he was, he'd always been very encouraging about me writing as well. Um, and he walked into the room with a cup of coffee and just sat down, and this was like 12 o'clock, you know, in the afternoon. And I just remember looking at him and feeling like I was about to cry and looking at Douglas and going, I need to be that guy. I need to be the guy coming into the room with the coffee, having done all the work. And I kind of had a feeling I could do it. Like, I had a feeling I could I could be a good writer. I wasn't sure, but I thought it was maybe in me. It was worth exploring. But every time I'd kind of tried to write a play before, I'd kind of write a play when I was unemployed as an actor, and then an audition would come up or a job would come up, and I'd forget about it. I'd always sort of write the first act and then never proceed beyond that. Because it's always harder to write second and third acts anyway, you know. So I got very disillusioned very quickly. But I think I think 
sorry, I feel like I'm blabbering. On. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. Um, but I sort of had a, a, I think I had a moment. I was I was out of work for a long time. I was out of work for three, not long after F Destroy True. I was out of, out of work for about three four years, of nothing, no auditions, nothing happening. So I just had the right really, because there was nothing else, and I was compelled to, and it just kept coming out of me. When you talk about had to write, when I read your plays. It does feel like there's an uh, there's an urgency there of a voice of something you want to tell the world. Is that were you were you compelled by anything else or not? Yeah, or I don't. I, I suppose that makes sense, but I don't. I kind of. I, I suppose you're right. I don't know. I never I never think of writing in terms of having something to say to the world, because I feel like that would be boring. You know, like if I thought that. I was so extraordinary that I had something that I knew that other people didn't know. But I guess the way I think is that I know a lot about myself that other people don't know. So I, I write a lot about myself, which is a frightening thing to admit to when people read my plays. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> I feel I'm glad there's a bit of room between us. <laughs> it's interesting to take me on to, to violence, really. Mm -hmm. And it feels... Pre prevalent in your plays, uh -huh. the act of it and the thought of it, and it. And then does that link? Is that something that's lying within you that you've that came out? Yeah, yeah. I think um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, th yeah, there is a lot of violence in my work. I'm quite fascinated by violence. Um, I'm sort of horrified by it, horrified by other people's violence, horrified by the violence in me and the potential violence in me. Um, I think it's a, lot to, it's a lot to do with, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland in the 70s and 80s, you know, it was a very violent background to grow up in. So I suppose, I, I never really consciously trace it to that, but I suppose that that would make sense, you know. And I did, I witnessed a lot of violence, you know, when I was a child and I was a teenager. Um, not so much directly, but, you know, it was enough around me to kind of be conscious of it. And... Um, yeah, I can't like I really like I love violent films or and things like that, you know, even even like really exploitative, you know, slasher flicks, but I can't completely sort of enjoy them because I'm always I enjoy them and then I sort of go into complete analysis and think why why am I enjoying this, you know? So I and also the thing that really fascinates me is I think writing about violence for movies would be pretty easy. But it's finding a way to, to write about violence and talk about violence in a play to, to represent violence theatrically because any sort of violence represented on stage in a physical way is usually pretty lame, you know, especially if the play is a, a realistic play. Um, so to find a way to actually hit the audience in the gut by using violence in a, with language or, or with ideas um, is very powerful, you know, and, and if it's done well, it makes it... You know, I went to see Killer Joe recently, which I never saw in the theatre, but I saw the movie. And there's a scene in that which is very controversial and, and very violent, and it's brilliant, and it's horrifying and brilliant to watch on screen. But I imagine in theatre, watching the play on stage, it would be ten times as horrifying and ten times as violent, you know? And I love that about theatre. Your violence doesn't... The, the violence in your plays doesn't feel... No, you're not saying it does, but it might sound like it does. want to to be known it doesn't feel like you're doing it to shock in any way no no it's in that world isn't it and yeah. uh, as you say you create it makes sense that you say that you have a subconscious access to what violence is because we seem to trust it mm -hmm. trust the world that you've created because these people have it often seem to have it in their blood 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have access to it. Yeah, and absolutely. It's sort of rushing through them. Yeah. And for that way, I can see why maybe those players are quick to write because it feels like they're, it feels like you're letting it out. In my romantic way, mm-hmm. I'm saying it feels like you're letting it out. Yeah. You open your heart and it flies. Is I that suppose so that makes sense, yeah. 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 Maybe that I'm starting to think. Now, see, then now we're get, we're getting analytical, and I think maybe that's why I write. And then that that if I think too much about it, then that'll inhibit how I write. So I don't I don't think too much when I'm writing. I just kind of write and don't. I try not to use my brain too much. Did you ever <laughs> make a choice that you need to write a play about, or does a play just happen? Uh, I'm not sure. It's really very. I'm sure other writers tell you this. I'm sure the same. It's the same for all writers. It's really mysterious how the whole process of writing happens. You know, and, and where ideas come from and all, I've, I'm not sure. Um, I had, I'm writing, I'm writing a play for the Abbey at the minute in Dublin. And um, it's quite, I think it's good. The first half's good. The Abbey are very pleased with it. Um, but again, it's quite violent. And I have no idea what it is or where it came from, but I, I think it's good. Like, I can feel in my bones that there's something... There's something good, but that's the that's the thing as well. Like it's, other people tell you what you're writing about, but I have no idea what I'm writing about, especially in a first draft. Um, I I had. Uh, the play is basically. Uh, um, the main sort of, thing in the play is the central character is a, a retired civil servant, uh, in Belfast, who, um, has a a, a granddaughter for the first time first time first grandchild and he he thinks that the baby is Jerry Adams he all he can see when he sees the baby is Jerry Adams right and so he and and he's a unionist you know so he's horrified by this and he um <laughs> he just he just he 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 wants to destroy this baby in some way uh, expel it from the family, kill it, um, and so the whole play is about how he how he goes about destroying this baby. Um, and I don't really know. I don't really know what the play is yet. You know, I don't really know what I know what it is. Like I can, I can feel it, but I don't know how it ends. I don't know. I don't know how the how the second half goes. I have some ideas, but like I don't. I don't know where that idea. Co- and actually, I was sending an email to the Abbey up when they were asking me what I wanted to write about. And I just wrote that down, and I don't know where it came from. So it's not a metaphor. It is a metaphor, but I didn't realize at the time that it, I think I think when I was starting it, I didn't really realize it was a metaphor. But I think it's a metaphor for a lot of things, specifically fear of the future, you know, fear of a United Ireland and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I didn't really realize the metaphor. I just thought it was an interesting, funny theatrical idea when I had it, and it just felt real and true to me, and interesting and original. So I wrote it. So you're writing, which does deal with political topics mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Would you say that it's you're actively you're actively political with it, or you're just writing from a political landscape? Um, I'm not sure. I don't like. I I I'd hate to think I wrote propaganda. You know, I think that's the worst thing you can do. Um, I think like I I feel like I don't really know a lot about politics. Um. But I tend to write a lot about it. But I tend to write a lot about Northern Irish politics. I don't tend to write too much about, um, you know, British politics. Um, 
I, t I also like I'm not you know I'm not sure where I stand politically yeah um, I'm not sure what my politics are in a broader sense I mean I have I have an idea where my politics are in terms of Northern Ireland but you know I'm not sure where they are in a, a wider sense and sometimes my writing is me trying to, to figure that out you know um, yeah but I, I kind of you know I hate plays where the author has a political agenda you know there's nothing worse I think that's a really interesting idea that you're working it out as you do it mm -hmm. so that each play is like a, a further step yeah and from a reader and a view of your plays Ireland is all are really looking forward to each of these steps as you work, work it out. Mm -hmm. David, thank you so much <laughs> for spending time thank you. talking to me. It's been really brilliant to have you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.